The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is Our Numinous Nature, and I'm your host, Philippe. We'll be hearing the profound stories of people with a deep connection to the natural world, from herbalists to hunters, wildlife rehabilitators to trappers, artists to homesteaders. The list goes on. My hope is to thread a needle that weaves together the many nature-related passions through stories of reverence. In nature, I've found meaning, a richness for life that grows with each new day. Maybe you feel the same. Or maybe you long to. Okay, that quote was from the one and only Bible, Isaiah chapter 11. And why that quote? Because today's guest, uh, Katie Crutchfield, um, in this episode, she mentions a famous painting by Edward Hicks, called The Peaceable Kingdom. Hicks was a Quaker preacher and folk artist in Pennsylvania during the late 1700s and early 1800s. So in this painting, you have all these wild and domestic animals living together. You have the bear, the leopard, the cow, the lion, the ox, some creatures you're not quite sure what they are, a lamb, a wolf, and you have children playing amongst them. And in the background, you have what I'm assuming are the Quakers um, rejoicing or in conversation with a group of indigenous people, a, a tribe. And they seem, this obviously alluding to the same harmony you have with the livestock and the wild animals you're having with um, these two groups of different people. While reading that excerpt, it was interesting to kind of look up what some of these kind of more um, arcane words, what they mean. So this line here that says, the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. So what's an asp? I did not know. So I go and I look it up and it says, it was probably the Egyptian cobra, which was very poisonous. The Egyptian, the Egyptians worshipped it as the urusus, and it was found in the desert and in the fields. The peace and security of the Messiah's reign is represented by the figure of the child playing on the hole of the asp. So that's interesting. It's a little kid playing on top of a, a snake hole. And the line afterwards, which is, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. So what was a cockatrice? The medieval name, a corruption of crocodile, of a fabulous serpent supposed to be produced from a cock's egg. It was generally supposed to denote the 
Cerastes, or horned viper, a very poisonous serpent about a foot long. And even the word fatling, I wanted to check that out just to make sure I knew what, what we were talking about here in the Bible, and that is a fatted animal for slaughter. So this big, yummy animal that the bear and the lion and the leopard are all laying right next to, and they're all living harmoniously. Why is this relevant? Because our guest today has created a peaceable kingdom. Sure, she has some uh, foxes that have come and they've killed a few of her of her birds, but for the most part, she lives in this harmonious oasis in the cornfields of Missouri, where she's surrounded by her animals, just dozens of them, and the wildlife, and they're all living kind of in this harmonious flux. When Katie tells her story about being all alone, living in rural Missouri, and buying an old, dilapidated farmhouse and moving in alone. And the critters that she becomes her friends and her family members literally feels like the stuff, the making of an award-winning children's book. So I can't wait for you to listen to this one. This one's just fun and fluid. Okay, so this is the sixth and final stop on our podcasting road trip. So we drove from Virginia to Denver for my little sister's wedding. And along the way, we did a podcast each morning out in people's backyards, you know, to be cautious with the coronavirus. Um, And I got to meet all these fantastic people. So I'm gonna just give a little recap of this fantastic trip as it comes to an end. Our first stop, we were in Eastern Tennessee where we interviewed Lynn Faust, who is the lightning bug lady. She is a citizen scientist and perhaps one of very few of the topmost experts in lightning bugs. She tells an incredible story about her son being stalked by a mountain lion. She tells an incredible story about uh, her scientific discovery, um, which connected to a ghost story, a local folktale about a ghost on her property. She was able to connect her experience with the lightning bugs and to this folk legend. Next stop, we were with Victoria Fillmore of Cedar Hill Homestead in central Tennessee. She told a powerful story about her Lakota mentor and uh, cleansing practices as he, he was a healer and his body would take on the pain and the stories of other people and how he tried to cleanse that, but too late. Very powerful lesson in that one. Then we headed to the thick wooded Missouri Ozarks where we spoke with Deputy Stan White, who is a fur buyer and a trapper. And probably the the most, um, the most uh, numinous or heartfelt moment of that podcast was He tells a story about a tension experience with his father and how his father had to give tough love to protect the family in a way, how the death of his older brother from alcoholism had rocked the family so much that his father had to show him tough love to kind of protect the family's future, I guess. 
Next, we headed to the suburbs of Topeka, Kansas, where we spoke with a community herbalist, um, Joanne Bauman. She told a story about ancestral healing and the power of apology around uh, the Custer battle and the Lakota. After that, we got to Denver, had a beautiful, saw my little sister become married, very beautiful experience. On our return trip, we headed to the chalk beds of Western Kansas, where we spoke with Chuck Bonner, who is a self-taught fossil hunter with a lot of his education um, and his passion passed down from his father, uh, passed down through family. And some of his finds are in the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles. So quite a uh, renowned paleontologist. And now the sixth stop on our way back to the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. We are in the cornfields of Missouri speaking with a restaurateur and Airbnb host, Katie Crutchfield. We are out in the middle of Lafayette County, Missouri, about 45 minutes east of Kansas City. Right. Out in the middle of thousands of acres of corn on the little eight acres that I own, smack dab in the middle of it. And you've literally created like an oasis, like a homesteading oasis. And you're surrounded on three sides by corn and then there's a road and maybe more corn. Yep. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And I, you know, honestly, I used to, they rotate crops here and I used to hate it when it was in corn. Um, Because it was like being in a box and it felt suffocating because when the corn's out, you can literally see for miles and miles and miles. Oh, out? You mean when it's not there? Yeah, when the corn's out for the Mm. year. It's Mm. just, you can just, you really can see, you can see the surrounding towns. You can see forever. But um, this year with the pandemic, it's been a really cozy, safe kind of feeling being out here in the middle of all this corn. Um, what are the other crops that they rotate with? They rotate with soybeans, and sometimes across the road, they rotate with, um, with three times with, they'll do hay, or okay. they'll do wheat that they turn into straw. Okay. One way I like to start these podcasts, just as to introduce one another, is I like to, so I noticed when I first moved to the country that small talk is about like the natural world. So I like to start these things. Have you had any interesting plant or animal or weather or fungus observations maybe in the past week or two? Let's see. In the last week. Well, we've had a lot of mushrooms. Okay. All different kinds of mushrooms. And mushrooms that if you're not taking time to walk slowly, some that are the size of like almost the head of a pin, so tiny in the grass um, that I just happened to be looking down at the right time, and there were these. So I've been photographing a lot of mushrooms and fungus. It's been really wet this year. So huge toadstools and um, just black mushrooms. Um, There was this really funky mushroom last year that grew, uh, which I'll send you a picture of. Okay. This sounds crazy, but I called it the devil's penis. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what kind of mushroom it was. I love that. It's the most frightening looking thing I've ever <laughs> seen. I mean, it actually startled me when I walked into our garden. It's terrifying. I, I'm literally. I'm going to send you a picture I of love it. It's going to so blow much. your mind. I don't know. 
I never even been able to find it in a book. It was the creepiest thing I've ever seen. Bright red, pointy, frightening. Well, I hope to God that it has it's new to science and you get to title it <laughs> The Devil's Penis. <laughs> the Missouri Thank Devil's God Penis. Thank God I took pictures of it. I didn't even share it really anywhere because I, that was just the name that came to my mind when I saw it. And um, yeah, but I, I haven't seen any of those this year. Um, yeah, and if we did... So I, cool. Yeah, it was it was are, crazy. Are any of them that you guys are eating or doing anything medicinally with? My husband just planted a bunch of mushrooms okay. this year um, in one of our um, gardens. But um, my son-in-law picks and forages a lot of mushrooms. And so he and cool. my daughter and my grandkids eat a lot of different mushrooms that they foraged. I don't feel comfortable enough with yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And uh, we have a huge bush that grew in our backyard, just came out of nowhere a couple years ago, and it's got elderberries all over oh, it. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, if you want to pick some before you go, you guys can make some elderberry syrup. For- I'll, because where I live, because my landlady who runs this um, medicinal plant nonprofit, because she has so many elderberry bushes, oh, I'll leave them for you or <laughs> <Okay>. another guest. Because <laughs> we're going to, when we get home, we're going to hit that. We're going to hit that thing. Well, good. Before you go, I'm going to ask you a little bit about how you do it. Oh, yeah. And have you look at it and make sure that it is actually an elderberry. For sure. I'm pretty confident that it is. The only one that I think when, when I would, because I'm an extremely paranoid and neurotic person. <laughs> <laughs> and so I always think I'm going to p- kill myself or right. poison myself by eating something I've hunted or eating something I've foraged. Yeah. I think the one that really um, came up when I was trying to research any t- any possibility for mis-IDing is, um, I think it's called the devil's walking stick. And okay. it looks, has similar clusters, but the, the um, stalk is covered in thorns. Okay. This and, doesn't have yeah. thorns, but I'm going to have you look at it just For to make sure. Because sure. cool. I've had people tell me you have to be really careful when you're making elderberry syrup, mm-hmm. that there's a way you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. And and you don't want to eat them raw. That's something you don't I've had eat herbalists raw. tell me on the podcast. Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I tried a few. Um, well, I want to tell you about what I've seen recently. Okay. So yesterday we just drove seven hours. So it, it's refreshing because we've been in the Kansas Plains and in Denver. So, you know, there's no trees. So we drove seven hours yesterday, and we've returned to trees, which is really wonderful since clearly I'm a tree person. But while we're in Kansas, um, you know, it's very much huge and flat and covered in in big agricultural Mm -hmm. plots or fields. Yeah. And I saw in the distance an old cemetery. And I was like, I'm going to go pop in over there. And it was actually before going to a podcast, and I usually will— uh, say like a little prayer to whoever, nature, right. gods, and spirits to ask for it to be a, a good conversation. And uh, I headed that direction and I pulled over on the opposite side of the cemetery. And right as I pulled over, and you know, these are these farm roads where n- no one's driving yeah, them. like they're old family cemeteries. There's one up the yes, road from here yes. that you need to stop at before you go. Okay. It's a, civil, a pre-Civil War cemetery and it's almost all children. It's the saddest Whoa. thing you've ever seen, but really Vivian amazing like gravestones which I think are super cool. Okay. The really old I ones. I do think that's cool. Yeah. So I pull over, and at the second I pull over, out of the cornfield, this little wild canine comes out of it and, and trots towards the car, and I'm staring at this thing. You know, I wanted to get out my phone, but I knew that would ruin the moment. It walks towards the car, and I'm just looking from the open window, and then it turns and just slow, crosses the road and slowly saunters off and then disappears into the next cornfield. And I was like, what the hell is that? I was like, that's not, way too small to be a coyote. <laughs> right. I looked at photos on my phone, and um, even coyote puppies were stockier than this thing. Yeah. And I was like, that wasn't a red fox, which I see where I am. It wasn't a gray fox, which I see all the time. It turns out, which I've never even heard of, it's a swift fox. 
and there are these there the a fox that only lives in the great plains and they're supposedly the way you think about them is a cat-sized like a cat-sized coyote fox cute it is so incredible looking they're so tiny and up. thin and lean yeah so i mean seeing first species like first time of me coming across the species is like that is the coolest thing ever especially for it to do like the field of dreams moment where it walks out of the corn and then you know the movie field of dreams with kevin costner it's I'm not sure this, I do. Oh, well, you have to, because I think about it all the time every time one of my dogs walks out of the corn. <laughs> but the, it's this baseball team that's long mm, since died, mm. and their ghosts walk out Whoa. of this cornfield all the time. They end up playing ball, and anyway. It's, wow, okay. Yeah, so this this, this fox that you've never seen before, and most people probably haven't seen, it sounds like it's small and unobtrusive and it's walks so, out of nowhere. It's so amazing looking. That's pretty cool. Um Speaking of foxes, you mentioned yes. you've had a major fox problem. So, so describe, well, before we go to that, describe this eight acres. What are you doing on this thing? Because um, you've packed in like a real, uh, like magical kingdom here in this little in I this did. Little it wasn't magical when I moved here. It wasn't magical at all. Um, I moved here probably in probably one of the most saddest. In fact, I was probably in complete despair hmm. when I bought this place. Hmm. Um, and it's not that way now. It's, Were you it's with my your piece, husband or it's my by everything. Yourself? No, I moved here from Santa Barbara in 94 with a boyfriend. Okay. Um, whose mother had grown up here and his family had property outside of Kansas City. And I moved here with him. It ended up being a huge disaster, a mistake mm. immediately. And um, I'd given up everything in California. I'd given up my business. I'd given up my rental there. Very hard. You were, to, you were an artist back there? I was. I was a trompe faux finish artist. What's the faux finish part? I would make things like, um, make wood look like marble. Oh, okay, cool. It's specialized painting. Nice. No call for that out here. Yeah, Outside it. of a town of 300 people. <laughs> Nobody wanted any of that specialized painting. I ended up painting barns for a living when I oh, moved here. Cool. Um, but I moved here with a boyfriend. It didn't work out. I couldn't afford to start over again in Santa Barbara, so I started looking for a place to buy, and I couldn't find anything. I wanted to buy an old farmhouse on some land uh, that nobody had done anything to. I didn't want, you know, popcorn ceilings and wall-to-wall carpeting. I wanted something old, and nobody wanted to sell anything. They just, uh, century homes where families had lived for generations, mm. they were just tearing all these old farmhouses down oh, and really? building new things. Oh. I, I wanted a place with trees, and it just wasn't like that out here. They just, if there were trees, people took them down because so they could plant more crops. Mm. And um, I was doing what I did almost every night, was which was sit in a parking lot outside of the town that I was living in at the time and watch people walk in and out of a grocery store because I didn't know anybody here at mm. all. I moved here with my boyfriend had never met anybody from Missouri, mm. had no family, no friends, anyone here. And I just would sit in the parking lot at the grocery store and watch people walk in and out, families, just to see people talking to each other. Wow. So you were really all alone. Yeah. I'd given up custody of my daughter for a couple months while I got settled here. Uh, she was, oh, 12, I guess, at mm. the time. And um, she was supposed to come out here and join me later, but my relationship had ended and it just felt disastrous. And um, 
So I went into the grocery store and outside the grocery store, right where you would walk in, they'd have these big catalogs of houses for sale, real estate magazines. I'd never looked in one in my life because I'd been a renter forever. Mm -hmm. And I started looking for farms. I ended up finding a farm that I might want to look at, called the realtor, and she ended up kind of taking me under her wing. Mm -hmm. I didn't end up buying the farm that she showed me. But she remembered this farm that she'd had on the market nine years before that had been abandoned forever. Mm. And she asked me if I'd want to look at it. it. The farmhouse wasn't what I described. I wanted some big two-story, mm. old, great-looking thing. This was one of those little weird Sears kit houses um, that Sears used to sell. Had a, just was just had it didn't even have a bathroom. Okay, so what is that? Because I don't know. They're, at, they have at like all a little pyramid roof and maybe three rooms, and then something that looks like a closet that if you had enough money you could turn into a bathroom. If not, it would just be a closet. Just but a, what do you what do you mean with the Sears thing? You would look. Sears you would used to order sell, the house, and they'd Sears come used set to it up? sell. Yeah. Wow. Sears used to sell houses, and they would, I guess they would just deliver all the lumber. They're all over the United States. That is so fascinating. All over the United States. So you could buy a pony on Sears and Roebuck <laughs> in like the 40s and 50s. Wow. It would come like with a little saddle and wow. bridle. And, yeah. I mean, they sold everything. <laughs> the first Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, this was one of those little Sears kit houses, little pyramid roof, and um, it was horrible. It was the most horrible looking place you've ever seen. It was filled to the ceiling with trash, oh raccoon poop. It had the, all the windows were broken. There were no doors on it. Um, the roof was just caving in. But there was this old brick chicken hatchery on it, and all these great outbuildings, barns, and um, the little building we're sitting in front of right now because it had once been the largest chicken farm in this county. Fascinating. And so I bought it because of the the chicken hatchery, the old brick and tile building, because the house looked like it wasn't repairable. And I thought, if I can't fix the house, I'll turn this chicken hatchery into a home, and it'll be a really great home. The chicken hatchery is just where they're laying? Yeah. Like, it had roosts and everything Mm -hmm. built all along it. And, um, yeah, it was just a really—it was all straight— Mm. It, it was in, the, you know, it had a couple windows left in it, but it was just a really neat building that would make a really cool house if I couldn't fix the other one. So in the middle of March, I, $5,000 down, which was all I had, mm-hmm. <laughs> I bought this eight acres, mm. um, which was in the middle of escrow between two farming families mm. I moved in while it was in the middle of escrow, which is, I had no idea. I'd never bought anything in my life. Mm. I had no idea what a dangerous thing that is to do because they could have changed their mind in the middle of it exchanging hands, and I could have ended up completely homeless with all my stuff moved out here with a U-Haul. But Mm. I trusted a family I'd never met before in my life. The owner financed this place for me, which was super great because I didn't have any credit at all. And... um, they kind of took me under their wing, and I moved into this place in the middle of March uh, into a little house with no bathroom, <laughs> with my dog and my three cats that I brought here with me from Santa Barbara, and I started the process of turning it into this. Wow. That's unreal. Yeah. So, did you end up putting a bathroom in there? 
I did put a bathroom in. It took a while. I had a while where I was peeing outside sure. or driving into town to use the gas station bathroom. Sure. Um, At the place we rent, our the all the water is rainwater. That's why I asked you, can I drink your tap can water? You drink the water because ours is all rainwater. We have to go up to a well to fill up jugs um, to drink. Yeah. Um, it's probably pretty good tasting water though. Oh, it tastes this incredible. This tap water is horrible tasting. Oh, I, I didn't. You thought mind it was okay? It. Yeah, I thought oh. no. Be inc- so. That's something Vivian and I, my girlfriend, have been talking about on this trip because we've been staying at Airbnbs. We've been in suburbs and we stayed like in in towns and drinking water from the refrigerator, you know, where it comes, you push it against the refrigerator. Yeah. That stuff tastes like- That's like icky. Fucking disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And then being back in a place here, your water tastes so good and clean again, like what we're drinking. Well, that's good. Yeah. I think it tastes horrible, but- okay. uh, Well, I've, it's better than good. anything we've had in two weeks. <laughs> Um, you know, I found I, in a documentary I saw that there, there's, um, I think it's a, I think it's like a worm or parasite in raccoon shit that can jump to humans. So yeah. Cleaning out your house must have been an ordeal. Yeah, and I wasn't careful at all. Mm. And I have a lung disease now, and I've always wondered about all the stupid mold things is, I've done over the think years. That could have been from mold and stuff. Um, who knows? Mm. I mean, I remember one time when I was cleaning out the loft up in the. Mm. Um, in the chicken hatchery, which is the Dancing Bear Cafe now, uh, my husband looked up there, um, and there was just, it looked like a nuclear explosion mm. of dust and crap that I was sweeping out. And I never, you know, I cleaned all these barns out. Mm. I never wore a mask. Mm. I, I don't even know where I would have picked one up at the time. But mm. yeah, I just, I did a lot of dumb stuff, not thinking about what I could be doing to do you myself. Know about the, do you know about Mullen? Yeah, we have a lot of mullen growing here. I think there's some growing right outside the cottage you stayed in. Have you used it at all? Mm-mm. Okay, well, I'm definitely not an herbalist. I, okay. A lot of herbalists will listen to this because I, I'm an illustrator and the audience, the people who hire me the most are herbalists and um, nonprofits for yeah. medicinal plants in Appalachia. But I'm still very much a novice. My mother's an herbalist, but I can find some information and send it to you. But um, mullen is incredibly good for respiratory issues. Yeah, as well. we've, we've got it here. I so love. I think it's one of the prettiest it. plants. I'll I will yeah. look it up for sure, and I'll listen to whatever you tell me because I'm definitely into herbs. My grandmother was an herbalist. Wow, cool. And um, uh, the medica- I've never taken medications in my life. Mm. Like not even at not even Advil. I don't I don't get headaches. I've I've just mm. never taken medicines. Something will happen to me. Pain pills. They'll prescribe something to me. I don't take them. Um, but herbs, I definitely do believe in. With my COPD, they ended up putting me on a medication. What's it's, COPD? It's a it's a breathing disorder that's uh. it's pulmonary, and mm. <clears throat> I think I gave it to myself actually using diatomaceous earth on my fruit trees, trying not to use poison on mm. for Japanese beetles, mm. uh, and not wearing a mask and breathe. Do you know what diatomaceous earth is? No, I don't. It's a dust. It's like a silica. Mm. It's not a chemical. It's just a but. It's real powdery. And you're supposed to wear a mask when you mm. use it. And I was dusting some of my fruit trees so the Japanese beetles didn't mm. eat all of our fruit because they don't like using pesticides. And it was very humid. And that whole summer, I was dusting trees. And the next year, I Shit. ended up with this breathing disorder. And so I think I have a lot of diatomaceous earth dust in my lungs. So yeah, I would definitely be into using uh, into using mullen because the medication they have me on is now causing all of my teeth to break. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So I've stopped taking that medication because I don't want to go to the dentist. And I just had to go for the first time in years. And he said, it's the medication you're on that's making your teeth break. I don't want to go to the dentist during a pandemic. No, no, no. 
Yeah, exactly. Know? I don't want to get anywhere near any <laughs> medical anything. Yeah. Um, I think I just heard on an herbal podcast that yarrow is good for t- I have yarrow teeth. growing here as well. To, I'm not sure on that one. Okay. Um, fascinating. Well, um, so what do you do quick, quickly? What do you do with the mullein? Do you make it into a tea or do you just eat the leaves or? Um, again, I'm so okay. not well versed, but pe- people do smoke it and you smoke it for as a respiratory, um, which seems odd, right? But yeah, it's it supposedly as a, re- as a respiratory ailment. Um, but yeah, you, there's, you know, tincture and all sorts of stuff. Okay. Um, well, let's go back to this amazing property. So you have two Airbnbs in your home, and then you have a re- your restaurant. And I have my restaurant, which and, is closed right now. Right, for COVID. Are, yeah. you, are the two Airbnb, Airbnbs, were these chicken houses mm-hmm. too? <laughs> so yeah. cool. Well, the one you're staying in, um, the bedroom part of it was an old railroad house, that, um, that mountainous kind of looking thing. I don't my mother would laugh when I'd call it a mountain because she's from Oregon. And, um, or oh, the hill just, in the distance. Yeah. <laughs> the tree <laughs> go, hill. That's yeah. not a mountain. Um, they call it a mountain here. Mm. It was a coal mine. Holy All these little wow. mounds you see out here at one time were coal mines. Oh, okay. Fascinating. Our red road is shale. Fascinating. From these old mines. Um, that little house you're staying in, the lit, small part of it, which is the bedroom, was a railroad house. And it used to sit out next to that hill out there. Um, which was a coal mine, and the trains used to go by, and the little railroad coal miner guy stayed in that little house. Holy moly. And when I bought this place— So you I, moved that structure? We moved it. Yeah. It was already See, moved thought, over to another part of this farm, but I asked the people that I bought my eight acres from if I could have it, because I thought it would make a great little guest house for my mom to stay in when she would come visit from Portland. So, so I thought when you were saying a railroad house, because I used to live in New York City, I thought you meant— the structure, because they call railroad apartments. Yeah. It's with a bedroom on either end or something like that. And yeah. you, I forget. But well, this that's just not had, what you mean. You mean it's actually, there was a railroad. And there's yeah, there was a railroad. A little, and this was the little house that the guy that, you know, when the railroad, when the train would stop, would get out and do whatever. And it had <laughs> wow. like a little hole in the roof where a little smoke, sta- you know, went, because there was probably a little pot-bellied stove yeah. or something in there. And there was room maybe for... A little twin bed and a desk and a chair or something, you know? So cool. Yeah. And so I asked him if I could have it. It was sitting on two um, telephone poles. So, and that must have been what they drug it from the coal mine onto part of this farm with. And then I had somebody else drag it up here under that walnut tree. So cool. The walnut tree basically comes out from the center of the house. <laughs> yeah. And then when my mom got dementia uh, in 2011... We bought one of those Amish Dirksen buildings and sort of attached it to the little railroad house and turned it into a whole house for my mom to move into. And okay, she moved here in 2012, and then um, she died in 2017. Mm. And um, it was one of her hospice workers, because all the hospice workers would fight over who got to come here and mm. sit with my mom, mm. because... They all liked staying here oh, because it's so quiet and mm-hmm. peaceful. And so um, it was one of those hospice workers that said, you know, when your mom's gone, you should turn this into an Airbnb. Mm. I didn't even know what Airbnbs mm. were. And, um, of course, I couldn't think of even if, past losing my mom yeah, to do anything with this of place. Course. But um, – in the years after she was gone, I started thinking that maybe I would turn it into some kind of a place for people to go after they'd lost somebody in hospice mm-hmm. where they could just grieve and mm-hmm. do whatever. And um, 
and then I ended up turning it into an Airbnb. And then the same year, I started working on this building, which was a chicken house, and turned it into yeah, another Airbnb. Yeah, and they're both they're so charming. The, the one you. we're in, the bedroom, the roof is like a tin roof. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like it's yeah. like for a chicken coop or a shanty, yeah. and yep. it's a, and the decor is so beautiful. You have in the in the living room area, you have all these naturalist prints with salamanders and turtles and owls, and just um, I was telling you before how you're you would you're very much a kindred spirit to our landlady who kind of um, has a very um, eccentric um, artistic taste where you'll just put things together like you'll go to an ant you know an antique shop or the side of the road and see an interesting door frame and then just install that yeah. into the side of a building yeah or put in a you know put in a random stained glass window and so I like to give things more than one life mm. so I I like old junk stuff that people throw away yes yeah and with animals too it's got a lot of rescue animals oh that people God. have dumped or thrown out so it looks like you've got like five dogs we have seven. Seven dogs. We have seven dogs. I saw at least yeah. two cats. Yeah, and all of those cats have shown up here. Are you serious? Yeah, um, the little orange one that yeah. you were talking to earlier. Yeah, it was just staring at me. It was yeah. sitting on its, it sitting on its butt, and he, it was just staring at he me. He just let me pet him. We were able to catch him once to have him neutered after he showed up here and shots, but he just started letting me pet him six months ago, and he's been here about three years now. And then the two barn cats um, who wander around, they both showed up here at different times. Wow. The one big tabby one, um, actually, some of my pets have pets. Our pig, Hammy, I don't know if you saw Hammy the wandering big gray around one? here. Yeah, yeah he, I did. His cat is one of those barn cats. And so they sleep together and hang out together. <laughs> and he just wanders around the property. You'll see on the Instagram, yeah. uh, he and he and the cat just wander around together. So your pet has a pet. My pet has a pet. And uh, um, Howard has a goose and um, that belonged to our, uh, our Pyrenees that we had before Howard. They grew up together, Ben and Jerry, and there's some videos of them on, um, on YouTube. Um, and they wandered around together for years. And then the goose... I think the goose knows that Howard isn't his old dog, but he'll sit on their back. No. And, um, like, knead, and he'll clean their teeth. Oh, my God. But the goose is locked up right now because um, in May, maybe, they tore down an old barn uh, at that farm that you can barely see across the road. They tore, tore down an old barn, and... There must have been a fox living in it because the fox moved, moved. over here. Interesting. And Do you know, did you get to see it? Was it the red fox? It was a red fox. Mm. Um, she, we would see her intermixed with her spouse. Um, and um, you could, you, so it was two foxes. Yeah, two foxes. You could, and you big could easily one. tell the difference between yeah, them? Yeah, because he was really big and fluffy and she was really skinny and mangy. Interesting. And, um, I started noticing like a duck or a chicken because normally there's just birds, all different kinds of birds. So for people listening, you have a ton. You have I have a ton of birds. I have peacocks Mm -hmm. and geese and ducks and chickens and um, normally they would all just be wandering around here, interesting. Put up at night and but just wandering the property. I have thirteen peacocks, (laughs) and um, 
ducks started kind of disappearing because, um, you know, foxes, are they're super fast hunt, way faster than the coyotes that we have. And Howard and Louie, our Pyrenees, do a really good job of running coyotes off. But the foxes, like, they just, they didn't even care. Mm. They just did not, they would just run right past a dog. They'd mm. come right in the yard, snatch a chicken, run out. Mm. And, did you ever um, see that? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're quick. I mean, it just there'd just be a whoosh of feathers flying everywhere. Sometimes no feathers. That's how fast they'd be. Um, anyway, the the fox must have moved underneath our big barn. Then she moved under the little cottage that you're staying in. Mm. And we never saw the babies until it must have been June, end of May or June. Um and by then they were living under the cottage you're staying in, and they started little the little kits started wandering mm. out, and they didn't seem to bother my peacocks at all. So I locked up all the other chickens. Um, I had a lot of people, of course, want to come out and just shoot the fox, mm-hmm. which I guess it's not hunting season for fox here. But if they're killing your livestock, you can kill them. Okay, like a nuisance permit yeah. thing. I, I wasn't going to kill anything. Yeah. This this mom was skinny. I mean, she was doing the best she could, You clearly, to feed. And we have tons of rabbits here. I don't know why mm-hmm. she, I guess it was just easier pickings, getting a big chicken or a duck. Mm-hmm. But, and they, like I said, they didn't seem to be bothering the peacocks. I left the peacocks out, locked all the other birds up because I thought, she's got to eat. Geese, chickens, they're domestic animals. They're mm-hmm. used to being locked up. They're mm-hmm. going to be less pained about being locked up than she is going to be being shot or having something happen to her babies. And I didn't realize that coyotes kill fox mm. and eat fox. Mm. I had no idea. And we have a lot of coyotes around here too. And so I thought, well, she feels safe here. I'm going to lock up my birds, let her have her babies. Hopefully she'll move on and they won't kill. She didn't seem to bother my cats at all. I'd see them wandering around with the cats. Cats weren't afraid. And the peacocks didn't seem to be bothered. Well, she ended, I went down to the cottage or staying in one morning, and sure enough, in the window, I could see feathers from one of my peacocks, and I had a, an old peacock, a male. They had full tails at the time, because they shed them every year, so oh, they got okay. a lot of weight Interesting. at that time of year, and uh, there were feathers everywhere, and she had killed my great-great-grandpa peacock, hmm. which was devastating to me, because I'd had him just forever. And you could see that he'd put up a real fight. I mean, there would just be a pile of feathers here, and then you'd mm. walk 50 feet, and there'd be another pile of feathers, and she'd pulled him under the house, and mm. it was it was god-awful. I mean, it was startling to look out the window and see these huge tail feathers sticking up. And So then I locked up some of my peacocks, left a couple out, and knock on wood, they never got another peacock. The babies got bigger, started wandering around hunting, with their mom, I'd see them eating mulberries or apples under the apple trees and wandering in and out That's of the yard. Cool. That's cool to see yeah. that. And I got tons of video and photographs, and they're all on my Dancing Bear Cottages Instagram. Okay. Um, well, a lot of them are because those windows in the cottage are staying in. We put reflective windows in so you so animals can't see that people are standing there looking at them. It's- oh, this morning, as I was pouring— <laughs> Hey, pupper. As, this morning, as I was pouring my coffee— I was just looking out at one of your, uh, one of the fox squirrels, and a hummingbird just like popped into the window, and it was just st- like a few inches from my yeah, face. And I was they like, can't All right. see you, but you can see them. So I would just sit, uh, I would just sit in the, uh, I would just sit in the windows with my camera, 
and mm. video the foxes and mm. take pictures of them. And like they would just sit on those straw bales behind the house. Oh my God. I mean, you could touch the window and, and their their face would be right against it and they couldn't see you there watching them. The, you know, I want to hear whatever happened to the foxes, but also this is interesting because um, my girlfriend and I have been talking about potentially getting a dog. I've never had a dog. I've always had cats yeah. um, growing up and I haven't had a pet as an adult. Um, and if we got a dog, I would probably want it to be also like a hunting dog. We're thinking about getting a little squirrel dog, mm-hmm. a little feist. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing we keep discussing is I love seeing the wildlife and I'm so, I don't know if scared is the right word, but I'm, I'm so trepidatious. Is that the right, is that a word? Yeah. Trepidatious? Yeah. About having a dog outside because like we've had a bear walk a few steps from our front door and I like that. So I don't, I don't, want to just have a dog that's scaring all the wildlife away. But then you've got these two huge-ass dogs, and you've got foxes just sitting on hay bales. Yeah. <laughs> My mom, there's a painting called The Peaceable Kingdom. Not aware of that one. Okay. And it's just It's a famous these, painting. Yeah, and it's just all these animals mm. living together, and that's what it's like here. You've got, I can feel it. Yeah. It's a, and some it's, Dr. Doolittle vibes here. it's always been this way. One morning, uh, well, we had our first Pyrenees that we got because Pyrenees are raised. Well, obviously, they live out in the middle of nowhere. Like if you drive through Utah or Montana, you'll just see a Pyrenees out in the middle of a field, out in the middle of nowhere, guarding sheep with mm-hmm. no humans anywhere around. Mm-hmm. Those guard dogs hunt for themselves, um, wouldn't feel comfortable in a house, and would actually kill and go after a wolf or a coyote. Hell yeah, they would. Howard's. A little bit of both. He's he's super fast, which Howard is amazing. Howard's the big black one or the blonde one? Howard's the white one. The white one, yeah. okay. Uh, Louis also a great hunter. They're mm. really good at chasing coyotes off. That's interesting. With the fox, I don't know if they just, since the fox weren't afraid of them, if they just weren't really sure, they'd chase them off. But then the fox would, the fox knew not to be afraid of them, I guess. The fox was smarter than my dogs. Mm. But the dogs, the dogs. That's, obviously, that's the the fairy tale, right? Is the cunning fox. The cunning fox. Interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it was really amazing how smart they were. And like I said, I was really sad to lose my peacock. But there's that meme about is the, um, is the deer crossing the road or is the road crossing the forest? Mm, I haven't heard that. And when I moved here, because this place had been abandoned for so long, I had to come to the place where I realized that raccoons hadn't moved into my house. Mm. I'd moved into the raccoon's house. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've tried to find a way to live with all the wild things that are here and all my domestic things, try to find a way for everybody to live together. And I don't know why it works. So how but did it, it pan out with first the foxes, fox family, and then how did it pan out with the raccoon family? <laughs> well, the raccoon family, I had moved here into the middle of nowhere. Super kind of creepy at first when I moved here in the dark oh, at I night. It. And like As I said, as a woman by yourself out here, I was living by myself yeah. out here. Did you have a little pistol tucked away? I somebody had given me a shotgun, <laughs> and so I had a shotgun. And I learned how to shoot it. Yeah. Um, and um, so I lived. I was living in this little ranch shackle house. 
um, out in the middle of nowhere with my dog that had moved here with me from Santa Barbara. Who That's was another thing that seems essential a to dog. have a dog. Yeah. If you're by yourself in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Yeah. I've never not had an animal. Mm. So, um, but yeah, so my dog and then my three cats that moved here with me, they were kind of giving me something to live for because I realized if something happened to me, mm-hmm. there wasn't anybody that was going to take care of them. Um, I didn't really have anything in common with anybody out here, so Mm -hmm. I didn't even know how I was going to meet anybody to even Mm -hmm. develop friendships with people. And I'm going to be honest with you, I still don't really have friendships with Mm -hmm. people out here. I have real close friendships with all my friends back Mm -hmm. in Oregon and Mm -hmm. California, but I don't have really any close friendships with people out here. And the Mm -hmm. pandemic, as horrible and frightening as it is, hasn't really affected me Mm -hmm. at all because I'm pretty reclusive and I love meeting the people that stay here, but... I'm just kind of a quiet mm-hmm. person that just likes living out here in the middle of nowhere now. Mm-hmm. This is the stage of my life that I'm in. I was in complete despair, though, living out here. I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do for a living. I was running out of money. I, I just didn't really see much of a future And um, I had like this weird Scarlett O'Hara epiphany from the movie Gone with the Wind where she picks up the soil at Tara and and she's found her her home again. It's all burned to the ground, but she's clutching this dirt that's hers. And I went outside in the dark and there were little lightning bugs flying around, which I'd never seen before. We don't have fireflies on the West Coast or all these little lightning bugs. So they were flying around and I was standing out in the front yard in my bare feet and I realized that for the first time in my life, I actually owned something that somebody couldn't take away from me and um, that this was my home, that it was mine and I could make it whatever I wanted to make it. And I went, I started to go in the house and I heard this weird noise on the roof, just a noise I've never heard before in my life. And I couldn't figure out what it was. It kind of scared me. I went in the house, and then I heard this weird noise coming from the basement. And I went down the basement, which at that time was disgusting. Dank and dusty, and um, there was an old chimney down there, and the noise was coming from the chimney. I pulled the stovepipe out, and three little baby raccoons fell out of the the chimney or the stovepipe. A good fall. Because the mom had probably, uh, with it being winter or end of winter, had had her babies up in the chimney of this old abandoned house that I was now living in. So I tr- was trying to figure out what to do because I could hear the mother ro- the mother raccoon running back and forth on the roof. So I put the I didn't want to just lay them out there in the yard because they they still hadn't opened their eyes really. So I put them in a laundry basket and put them out there on the porch, and went back inside, and she never came back for them. They were crying for her, and she never came back. She ran off and didn't come back. So there I'm trying to figure out, how do you feed raccoons? There was no Google or internet or anything then. It was 1994. And um, so I ended up mixing up some cat food and grinding some stuff up, and I started feeding these little three raccoons. One of them didn't make it past 24 hours, and the other two did. And um, so I raised these two raccoons. It kind of gave me purpose. As they grew older, one had some kind of 
brain disorder. So she would, um, like, she'd have seizures. And um, so the the potbelly pig, the two raccoons, my dog, and my three cats were living in this old abandoned house with me out in the middle of nowhere. And the male raccoon started figuring out how to get the door open to the house. He would, like, hang on the door handle, and the door would pop open, and then he'd swing like a parasailor with his legs out. He'd swing the door open and then jump off and run off in the night. And so he started going in and out, and then one night he finally just didn't come back anymore, which is fine. And the pig, I'm not a religious person, but there are a lot of really religious people out here. I'm a spiritual person. I was raised Catholic. And so some of the traditions of that and, like, the smell of sage burning and stuff, um, you know, I like some of those things. But I'm, I would not call myself a religious person. But people are here. When I did meet people, it's the you know, Bible Belt, and so people would always try to have their pastor come over and talk to me. And many pastors would just show up on my doorstep. And, um, but the pig came in really handy then because I found that all I had to do was um, offer— let the pastor come in, offer him something to eat. And I had, there was an armchair in my house that the pig liked to sit in in the evenings. <laughs> um, and we'd watch TV. So the pig and I would sit there at night with my dog and my three cats and the raccoons. Um, by this time, I'd been given this nickname, Ellie Mae Clampett. And I was, since I was from Santa Barbara, a lot of people called me Santa Barbie. And um, so, the pastor would come in, I'd offer him the chair that the pig normally sat in. And then the pig would come from out of nowhere and kind of try to tussle with the pastor over the chair. And that was that usually put an end to somebody asking me to join their congregation. But when I ended up meeting my husband, because I hurt my back painting barns, and um, he was a chiro local chiropractor in town. And... Um, he had children, and I had a daughter, and he said that when we got married, he was like, you know, I'll put up with the dog and the cats, but I'm not going to live in a house with a pig and a couple raccoons, so you need to let me build some kind of an outdoor enclosure for the pig and the raccoons. So um, that's what we did, and um, I kept that raccoon until she until she died of old age, but... Um, we blended families and got married, and we've been married ever since. That was 20-something years ago. Oh, my God. That's so awesome. Yeah. That is straight out of a fairy tale. <laughs> that is straight out of a fairy tale. So, yeah. That is so great. So, because I raised these raccoons, and people out here just pretty much, if they were nuisance animals. Yeah, you'd probably shoot them or trap them or yeah. something. After I met my husband, he became aware that people would just show up here all the time. We'd be eating breakfast on a Sunday morning, and you'd see somebody drive up the driveway, and a car door open, and somebody would come walking up the path with a shoebox with something in it, some animal that they'd found, um, something that they thought needed rescuing. Oh, so you kind of became the, the accidental community wildlife rehabilitator. That's what happened. And then pretty soon, oh my God. Uh, the conservation department... Just one guy at the conservation department whose name will be, I won't say, yeah, yeah. Um, because they're not supposed to. But there were no wildlife rehabilitation places out here at uh -huh. all because nobody cared. Yeah. Um, he would bring me things. You know, he'd 
see a possum hit on the side of the road, mm. and there'd be a baby possum clinging to it, and he'd show up here with a baby possum. One time he brought me three pileated woodpeckers. Oh, yeah, yes. God damn, I love them so much. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I've never seen one in the wild. Oh, I raised okay. these three We've babies. We've got a lot where we are. I've never, they must be here someplace. Mm-hmm. He said they were pretty rare out here. Interesting. Okay. So um, he brought me these three. I was supposed to get them to a point where they were flying, if I could, mm-hmm. keep them alive. And then he was going to take them on to uh, the bird place in Kansas City. So I did that. Had people show up with owls. Oh, Some wow. of the stories would be really sad. No, those, you can't keep a raptor. And by that time, I was able to find raptor rehab. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah, so the owls cool. are hard. One time, the bank in uh, Quarter, in the little town I live outside of, called me, and some guys were cutting down trees, and they cut down a tree, felled a tree with uh, a barred owl nest in it, mm. and three little baby owls popped mm. out, which they should have just left there. Mm. I don't know if they were clear-cutting the woods, but they put them in a box, covered them with a bunch of rags. The rags that they covered them with were soaked in uh, chainsaw oil. Oh, man. And by the time I got to the bank, two of the baby owls were dead. Oh, man, because just like it was fucking horrible. fumes. It was just fucking horrible. Yeah, that sucks. Um, the other one, uh, the other baby was still alive. And um, so I was able to feed it and keep it alive until uh, a conservation agent guy came and got it and then took it up to the raptor rehab. Um, and then another time somebody found a barred owl and by that time I knew what to do. Um, so I was able to find the tree that the owl came out of, build a milk, take an old milk crate and climb up the tree with a ladder, attach the milk crate up in the tree, Mm. fill it with hay, put the baby in the milk crate Mm. and wait for evening and see if the mom came back Mm. and the mom came back, fed the baby, and... So awesome. Yeah. So awesome. That is really cool. But things changed for me with the way I started taking care of stuff. Because at first, I think just because of my own despair and loneliness, I would mother stuff and humanize animals. Mm-hmm. And then as the years transpired, I realized how much better off they were on their own. Mm-hmm. And so over the years that was kind of the person that I became to try to just let things be and figure out a way to help them live, but where they're supposed to live. So yeah, that came up a lot in the podcast I did with the guy who has the wildlife hospital. So that's really cool that you evolved from that though. That's really cool. Something we talked about before recording that I found very interesting is we were saying how you've had an Airbnb guest come here and then they like freaked out. They were weirded out. They thought it was dirty. One. One. And, um, I, and then I told you how fascinating it is because on this Airbnb trip, I, well, I live a, in a similar lifestyle to this. You know, our cabin, our landlady built is kind of pieced together and I love it. It's so charming. And so this trip on, the, as we've been staying in Airbnbs, we've been staying in like suburbs in Kansas. And that, I was telling you, that freaked me out. The fact that I'm in this kind of big house that doesn't really have anything in it. It's kind of like half empty and there's all these rooms with nothing in it. (laughs) And like, I'm looking out at the suburbs and I'm like, just kind of creeped out by, and that kind of puts me on edge. Or we stayed in Topeka and we were near the railroads and seeing these like dark figures all night just coming off of the train tracks. And you can feel the energy. Yeah. And that freaked me out. And then I come here and I'm so extraordinarily calm here. And we even... 
in the night we heard a little critter in the wall and me and my girlfriend kind of smiled because at our place, we have a wood rat and we hear them all night long, especially yeah. in the winter. It's like that puts me at ease. Whereas I can see someone who's really in the city mindset being so scared. Yeah, to be you out. hear this little scritch, scritch, yeah. scritch. And, and it would scare the, yeah. for me, and yeah, for me, it's it's exactly the opposite. It's just like what you were saying. When I go into the city or at times when I've had to stay in a hotel or in somebody's house, even in a neighborhood, I actually hear and feel inside my body this, it's like a clicking. Hmm. I can't really explain it. It's like this, it's a frenetic kind of clicking sound. I can't really explain what that is, but it's like a frenetic activity that I actually pick up on being in here. It's just quiet. Like I hear nothing. I, you don't hear the clicking. I don't hear any but sort of frenetic city, clicking. But when clicking? I get in the city, I feel I can feel the energy Holy shit. and the stress and the yeah. And the more I live here, when I go places, the more I the more I feel it. You know, that is incredibly fascinating. I've never heard anything like that before. But um just on that note, as we were driving through Kansas City to get here, I started feeling this like in my body, this fucking dread. Yeah. And I felt like I was moving back to New York City just as I was going on these kind of, I, I even feel really uncomfortable right now. Yeah. Um, as I, I can actually make myself feel that feeling thinking about it, but it's like feeling all of the darkness or unhealthy mm. feelings of everything and all the people. Mm. It's an energy mm. around me and wow. I, feel it and I so can the feel clicking it. is not in you you're hearing it you're picking up on something it's, around I, you yeah it's like mm. I, I can feel like this just this frenetic kind of it's like a clicking. I can't explain it it's like mm. a clicking noise and it's just it's the frenetic stressed out activity mm. all the hundreds of voices of things that people are mm. thinking in their heads as they're mm. hurrying here and hurrying there there's mm. no hurrying here of any living thing nobody God, hurries here I've never, I've never quite heard that before but yeah um i guess you might be very much an empath is that what they would yes. say so you're picking up my girlfriend too so you know if her surroundings are chaotic it, it's very it's uh, really unhealthy easy for, for me. her yes exactly yeah because um, i can li- i can literally physically and spiritually feel it mm. and it's funny because i notice my daughters and my granddaughters all like my, my when my granddaughters come here to visit, we have a lot of bats. Mm, cool. And their favorite thing to do at night is to sit here or in the front yard and we just sit and watch the bats. Are and, they maybe um, nailing the grasshoppers coming off the cornfields or something? Yeah, the gra- well, we have a lot of mosquitoes. Okay. Because there's a lot of standing water everywhere. This pond wasn't here. Okay. This we put yeah, this so pond. So we're looking in. over at a pond that's surrounded by trees and your horses are kind of butted up against the pond. Yeah. When I bought this, it was eight acres with these little buildings sitting on it and barns, and they were literally growing the corn right up to the doors of everything. Hmm. Like, there was no square inch of property that didn't have some a crop growing on it. Hmm. And uh, there were maybe 20 trees. There are hundreds of trees now. Hmm. Um, and my husband, who's a native Missourian, I had gone back to visit Santa Barbara, and he was afraid I wasn't going to come back mm. because 
I really missed the mountains and I really missed the ocean. And I've never not lived near the ocean in my life. I lived in mm. uh, Muir Beach, Santa Barbara, and Oregon. And so I've always lived near bodies of water. And the feeling of being landlocked uh, was really difficult for me. So my husband said, you know, we can put a pond in. We can put a two-acre pond in, and which I had no idea you could do. And so sure enough, he had his uncle come over and take t- with a bulldozer, and we dug up this pond. And he said, all we need is a two-inch rain, and it'll fill. And it so did. So cool. And well, so and that kept You know what here. I'm thinking about is um, I just yesterday in Kansas, I interviewed a, um, uh, a paleontologist. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure about where we are right now, but all of that area was an inland sea. So maybe you are actually kind of on an ancient beach right now. I might be, because this land doesn't look anything like it. I've seen pictures of what this farm looked like uh, back in its day. Mm. Um, the main house was down the road further, but it was all hilly. I mean, really mm. hilly and tons of trees. Mm. And the whole topography of it has changed. It's just becoming flatter and flatter, more mm. like Kansas, mm. as they take out all of the trees. Mm. As they take out trees, I just keep planting stuff, or birds do. That pond, we built that pond in 96. Uh, I lived here two years, I guess, before I met my husband. All the all those trees around it, just birds brought most of them. Mm. You know? Wow. Like, that, we didn't... We planted, I think, four trees around that pond, and there's probably 40 now, yeah, and they're all oasis. trees that birds brought. And one year, we had to break the dam and re-core it um, because it was leaking because of muskrats, and mm. you're supposed to trap the muskrats or yeah. they wreck your pond, but I could never bear to trap them, and so every now and then, we I've have to re-core that. the dam. They taste because, pretty damn good. Do they? <laughs> they taste really good. And um, they're so cute. They're cool. they, They're pretty destructive. When we had to break the dam and let all the water out of that pond, there was a whole ecosystem down there. My little daughter, who's 20-something now, we would I'd hold her hand and we'd walk around the outskirts of it. And there would be like little mollusks and snails. Oh, and wow. just in the short years mm. that we had put that mm. water in, there was a whole ecosystem that had, it, it's just amazing Unreal. to me. Everything you touch seems to come burst with life. So yeah, all these. I mean, when you think about all the trees that are here, that there were twenty trees on this property mm. when I bought it, and so as the all, as the farmers take all the trees out, I just keep planting and planting and planting and planting. I'm hoping that. it keeps me alive because we live in a cancer cluster mm. from all the pesticides that they spray oh. on the yeah. And our wow, uh, Donald Trump has. Uh, allowed use of pesticides that have been banned since mm. the 70s. Mm. So they're poisoning everybody mm. out here. And they crop dust everything. I mean, they they literally can touch almost the roof of our barn. That's how low they fly with the pesticides. Is and, that what I'm seeing with these little planes flying around, these propeller planes? Yeah, they're crop dusters. Oh, I didn't, I thought I didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. I thought they were just doing tricks, stunts. No, no, they're spraying poison. That's, Jesus Christ. Yeah, they're spraying poison. And so I'm I'm hoping all these trees save yeah save me and my family because yeah. I love where I live. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it would be a place where people would be dying like mm-hmm. crazy from cancer. Jeez. But it is. Oh, I, I had no idea. I mean that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, um, the frogs out here, all all the leopard frogs, uh they've been studying them at um 
at uh, the University of Missouri, there most of the frogs are becoming hermaphrodites. Oh my god! From from the use Mutants. of of poison. Mm. Yeah, it's really Jesus sad. Christ. Um, I derail. That is extremely fascinating. Um, but I derailed you from you were talking about the energy that you feel in cities, and you oh. were, you were starting to say that your grandmother or or someone in your family was a, was had some my grandmother. My one of my grandmothers was um, definitely definitely clairvoyant. Was this out um, in Oregon? She was in Oregon. My other grandmother was in Santa Barbara. They did not like each other at all, but they were almost exactly alike in the things that they loved. They both gardened. They both uh, they both grew herbs, and uh, one of them loved dogs. One of them loved cats. Um, they were both incredible cooks, which is where I learned to cook. Um. And they were both really reclusive. Uh, and one of my grandmothers was a massive environmentalist. Um, she was one of the founders of Goo, which was keeping all the oil rigs off the coastline of Santa Barbara. Um, she was constantly writing letters to the editor. And um, my parents um, both liked to hike and love nature. They taught me to every time we camped when we were little to not to always leave a camp place that you camped just exactly like it was when you left. That was before there were littering laws. Um, so we'd always camp. We'd hike the Three Sisters when I was maybe six years old. I had to, we had to carry our own packs, me and my sisters. Um, this is the Three Sisters Mountain Range. And I um, think I've seen that in the Ken Burns doc. So Ken Burns has a long documentary series about the national parks. Mm-hmm. I think there's, I think they show the Three Sisters. The Three Sisters. I think there was a famous Japanese artist who lived in that area who would go up there with his wife and friends. Mm-hmm. I think I might be I wrong. Could be. I think so. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful place, and um, so I've just always loved. I, I've always loved nature and animals. My mom always read to us. We didn't really have a TV when I was growing up. So my mom was still reading to us when we were like 13 and 14 years old. We'd mm. crawl into her bed at night and, you know, she she started us with Beatrix Potter and the mm. Chronicles of Narnia. And so toadstools. I love doing that. Of, I do still do. I've been doing that with my girlfriend. We read at night. If it's we, awesome. If she's an artist, so sometimes she stays up super late working on her stuff. But if we go to bed together, we try to, to do to readings. Read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we've been reading a lot of Cormac McCarthy, which is dark as hell. You know Cormac? <laughs> I don't. Okay. <laughs> He's a Southern Gothic writer. He's actually considered the best American, the best living American author. Really? Yeah, he did No Country for Old Men. Oh, okay. uh, Blood Meridian, which is horrific. Um, uh, um, All the Pretty Horses. Yeah. um, Child of God. Really. Okay, now I know who you're talking about. Unbelievable author, but his work is haunting, extremely dark, and definitely has that Southern Gothic vibe. I love that you're reading at night. Yeah. We we did a little bit. We've been doing some Mark Twain. I read her in. A, I read her, which is a tearjerker. You got to cry. I read her um, of Mice and Men. So getting into Steinbeck. Yeah. Uh, My aunt Peggy uh, did the um, one of the paintings in the original Tortilla Flats. Are you serious? Yeah, it's the fire painting. I'm not aware of that one though. Okay, well you'll you'll see it. Um, you'll have to look it up. I don't have it. My sister has the original copy of it hanging in so her house. So did the publisher or Steinbeck commission it? Um, he he commissioned it, and I'm trying to talk my sister into donating it to the Steinbeck Museum because— Where's the Steinbeck Museum? 
It's somewhere in California, Northern okay. California, someplace. You know, I haven't read Tortilla Flats. That's one of the, okay. well, I've she, read so many aunt, other ones. My aunt, Peggy Best, uh, did one of the paintings. So cool. Um, and it used to hang in the um, in the hallway at my mom's house. Now it hangs at my sister Becky's house, but I think she should donate it to the museum. Because, so cool. Yeah. He's he's California, right? Yeah. Because he was Cannery Row. All those yeah. are on, in Monterey Bay, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, damn, that's cool. That is very cool. Yeah. Um, do you think you might have a? All right, so we're transitioning. Did you I think you? I don't anything? know that I have any. Okay. Ma- I mean, I don't. I don't know that I have any magical story because I mean, you already, I, everything you've already said has been kind of magical. It. I. My living with all the the critters. My life has been really magical here. You know, I'm trying to find one of my kids or one of my grandkids. One of my little granddaughters says that she'll live here um, when she's older because I just I want to have my ashes thrown here, mm-hmm. and I I hope that. Somebody in my family, one of our kids or grandkids, wants to live here when I'm gone so that it can always be like this mm-hmm. because it's restoring, not just to me, but being recl- as reclusive as I am and as I've become, I wasn't sure if I'd want to do the Airbnb thing mm-hmm. because I love doing my restaurant, but I stay back in the kitchen. My daughters, who are my servers, go out and talk to people. Well, okay, I want to talk about the restaurant. Carry on, finish your, your, because finish I, your thought. I, I like, then. I'm more comfortable around animals mm-hmm. um, than I am people now. I used to be a real people person, but not so much anymore. So I wasn't sure if I'd like people staying here. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I've picked the right people mm-hmm. to stay here. Mm-hmm. And I see how healing it is to them, whether they're here 24 hours or for three days. And especially now during the pandemic, which is a very scary time for me to have people stay mm-hmm. here because I have to be so careful being mm-hmm. immune compromised, mm-hmm. even cleaning. Like I, I block out 24 hours before people stay and 24 hours to after because out. I can't even go in the cottage that they've been in mm, good thinking. until they've been gone for 24 mm-hmm. hours just to let the dust settle. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's been so um, restoring and healing to people who live in cities. I can't even imagine. Where there's all the frenetic stuff mm-hmm. going on. A lot of people that can't go home and see relatives. That mm-hmm. can't, you know, you can't fly. You can't do anything. So people have been coming here from all over the place. From all over the place. This coming weekend, I've got somebody coming from Santa Fe. Somebody coming from Nebraska. Damn, that's pretty far, Santa Fe. Yeah, and people just stop here on their way through. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are driving places. Mm-hmm. I had a guy here the weekend before last who was terrified about staying anywhere because he was trying to get home to his wife who was very ill. Mm. Um, and he didn't want to talk to anybody. He mm-hmm. was like, can I come? Do I have to get a key from you? Can, can I just come without having to be around any people because mm-hmm. I'm trying to get home safely to my mm-hmm. wife without catching COVID mm-hmm. so that I don't kill my the yeah. love of my life, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, um, so it's been a really special thing, even more special, I think right now to do for just the healing yes. part of it for people. I say a little safe spot. A safe spot. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your restaurant. Okay. So your whole property is called Dancing Bear. Yeah. So you have the Dancing Bear Cafe. I have the Dancing Bear which Cafe. Which is closed for COVID, but tell yeah. us what the and whole the deal And the Dancing is. Bear Cafe... I was I should have given it a chicken name since it's in an old chicken hatchery and this was the largest chicken farm in the in Lafayette County. But while we were we took that my husband and I took that building. I kept complaining about the food in Missouri. My husband said, You're a great cook, why don't you open a restaurant? Cool. In that hatchery. So three months later, we 
every night we'd be working on it. My husband come home from work, work on something, build something, whatever. We were open in three months. Damn. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, you're, I'm, I'm the same kind of thing. I go so hard on things. It's If I'm inspired by something, it That's has it. to happen right now, right now or it'll never happen. That's right. So I just go hard as hell. <laughs> so three months, too. you got a restaurant open. Yeah, and I'm more of a whip crapper, cracker because my husband, well, he once he's got his mindset on something, but he likes starting new projects. He doesn't like repairing old stuff okay. that's fallen apart. But if it's new and inspiring, he's there. So I can always get him on board if it's new and inspiring. If it's putting trim up in our house that mm. we've never put up mm. in 20 something years, mm. not so interested. <laughs> but um, so three months, you open it up. So we open it up. Mm-hmm. Um, reservation only, only open Friday and Saturday nights. Mm. And you would pre order from six different things that I would have to choose from. And I only have seven tables in there. Mm. So. Um, yeah, and open 21 years until this past March so and now cool. closed. So are people making the trek from Kansas City? Yes. Most and people drive at least that? an hour. To, minutes? Most hour. people drive about an hour to come here, some longer. So cool. And where some are you longer. and so where are you getting the produce and stuff? I I used to buy it from different farmers yeah. around and now I pretty much just support our local grocery store because we only have one store. Oh. Nice. Um very cool. And then I grow a lot of the stuff. Yeah. Myself. Cool. What do you grow? I grow squash and nice. herbs and tomatoes nice. and lettuces and berries and peaches. We have tons of fruit trees. Nice. I try to plant at least two fruit trees a year. And I don't know how many we have now. Probably 30 or 40 different fruit trees. And you're saying your daughters are the servers? And my daughters, yeah, my daughters work here on the weekends and serve all of our kids. We have six children. My husband had three when we met and I had one daughter, and we had two together, and all of our kids. Well, they're all most of them are teachers, the ones that are all adults now. Um, but all of them, at some point during their child or their teenage years, you guys, uh, your here. whole lifestyle is very much like something from a hundred years ago. <laughs> I love it. The you know, it ended up being up. really great for my kids because the serving here at my restaurant it's super important. It's probably as important as the cooking because it's all part of the experience. And I only, I never double book my tables. So people come here and they're encouraged to just sit and talk for as long as they want. No, I, nobody's standing there looking over your shoulder like a vulture, hoping you'll hurry up so they can have your table so they can sit down and eat. So it's a whole experience. And um, so the serving part of it's really important. So cool. Can, yeah. you, t- can you describe some of your favorite dishes that you would prepare? Oh, well, the big thing right now that everybody's missing that I'm getting lots of people writing me and calling me about is we make ginger butternut squash soup, and that's Mm, our fall soup, and we have it every year. Yummy. And um, so I just made a little post on my page that I would make it this fall since I'm not going to probably reopen. And have um, people come and pick people it up. And people can come and pick it up in a mason jar. Extremely cool. Yeah. And we have a sweet potato rosemary bread that people get Ooh. with it. Um, Ooh, that and so nice. I'll probably make some of that and then a little thing, a mason jar full of soup and let people pick that up. Yeah. That is awesome. I know what you mean too about how, um, you know, being out in the, in the country, that they are kind of like food deserts. Like the closest yeah. thing are these shit fast food yeah. chains and then there'll be nothing. There's nothing. So it's so cool to have little people, little small operations doing something a, a little bit more mom and pop. There are great restaurants out in Kansas City. Mm. You know, there are a lot of really good restaurants that that aren't chain restaurants. Yeah. Um, but this is a whole 
experience. You know, and people love bringing people here, especially when it's in corn because they don't tell them where they're bringing them and it looks like they're just driving. You know, you've been up the driveway. You you don't see a restaurant from the road because we sit so far off the road. Totally. I like, so I like those phrases you're using. So in corn means it's, the corn is up, out, yeah. out of yeah. corn means in it's corn. down. Yeah. That, yeah. That's fascinating. So that, those are just agricultural uh, <laughs> phrases. Very cool. Um. Well, this has been a pretty awesome conversation. Really? Oh, oh yeah. Good. You mean you tell? What do you mean? You're telling me you have lived with a pig well, watching TV? After listening to your podcasts, which are spectacular. Well, thank I mean, you. I've was, been getting worried about if if uh, there's any point in doing this. They're so good. They're so good. Well, and thanks. the 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 peregrine falcon one. I mean, I I just felt it so deeply. Mm. Everything that he was saying, and um, there was just something about. Uh, about the way that he spoke and when he was talking about birds and things, it just reminded me so much of my parents. Oh, cool. Um, I just really clicked with everything that he was saying and his story about um, that one particular um, falcon, mm. that feeling of dread when the falcon got away from him. Mm. I just felt everything mm. he was saying, you know, because there are these times in nature with animals, especially wild animals, where once you fucked up, mm. You can't take it back. You mm. just have this feeling of, oh, if I had just done, you know, when he when he gets the falcon out without putting the leash mm-hmm. on and you make the split-second decision and it's the wrong decision. Mm. A dog that's a pet, you could call and it would come to you. Mm-hmm. But a wild animal, when you've made a mistake. So I've felt that and it's even perhaps, well... It's similar, but maybe more intense. I'm not sure, but I felt that because I've I've been hunting for the past few years and started trapping. So I've felt the experience of fucking up when you're trying to, you know, d- kill an animal. And that is horrific. Like to put an animal through something worse. You know, if it's a quick death, it's okay. But to put it through something worse than that is like, oh my God, like just mortifying. Yeah. So I can understand, you know, when Ed was talking about, um, you know, having this amazing peregrine falcon and perhaps putting it and then, you know, perhaps giving it this awful. It's death sentence yeah, because it's death it had sentence. its little. And a terrible one. Yeah. It's not a quick one. Yeah. And it's his ambassador animal. So I can understand how, goddamn, that's probably even more awful because it's it's an animal you have a relationship with as opposed yeah. to just a random. That trusted him, that yeah. was dependent on him. Yeah. And I just, I felt that, that mm. whole story so deeply. Mm. And yeah, with hunting, I'm not a hunter, but there have been times where uh, my husband, who's also not a hunter, which is kind of rare out here, most men hunt. I'm sure. um, but where there'd be something, of an injured animal that mm. was dead, you know, it was going to die having to ask my husband to shoot something. Yeah. I had to shoot one of my ducks once because mm. it had a, a horrible injury. Its whole uterus was literally coming out of its Holy body. Moly. It had pretty much been gutted and was just walking around dragging an animal its or what? insides out. Pardon? Did an animal gut it or what? I think it just had been gang raped so many times by other ducks. Holy shit. That like her whole uterus was coming do? out. It was horrible. And Is that what ducks do? Don't they have a barbed penis or something? <sighs> I don't know, hmm. but um, I went through a series penis, of years where every time my animals would have babies, they would be all males, and then I'd have just like one female to fend for herself with all these males. Now I separate them, but she she was going to suffer to death, and so I had to shoot her, hmm. and I'd never killed an animal before. Hmm. 
And so I covered her with a towel and shot her through mm. the, because I, I couldn't look at her and shoot her. <clears throat> and I got her with one shot, mm. thank God. But I can't stand to see anything suffer. So mm. I totally get where you're coming from. Mm. And that moment where he describes just that one screw up in one second where he should have put the, the leash on the bird mm. and didn't. And knowing all night long that that bird was out there mm. somewhere and hoping that he'd find it. And that feeling. And then when he went back to find it was just the so most cool. awesome story. Such an awesome story. Especially when he forgot the leash again and he's yeah. up in the tree. Yeah. And it rode in his shirt. <laughs> It came down the tree inside of, or no, yeah. it came, he thought about putting it in his shirt, but it came down just resting on his shoulder. Yeah, like looking at his eyes and he knew that it wasn't going to fly off because mm-hmm. he could tell that it was so, it knew that it he was there to save it and that it needed to stay with him. So cool. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything else you might, you might want to talk about? I don't know. I don't know if I have anything else to talk about. I hope you're going to come back here though. This is awesome. I hope so too. Yeah. I mean, I've really enjoyed this trip. Yeah, uh, you know, being out in Kansas was quite remarkable, and I'm really liked Missouri. We stopped in, um, you know, I we came a little bit. I think we were a little south. We talked to like a, a country sheriff who was a fur buyer mm-hmm. in the Ozark part of Missouri. That was really fascinating. Um, the Ozarks are beautiful, awesome. And uh, you even mentioned, you even were mentioning before we started recording that you've started locking stuff because crime is up. And the sheriff was talking about that too. He's saying that um, homelessness is is up in the countryside, which I didn't, I've never even really thought about. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're on the brink of what I think is going to be a really terrifying time. And I'm so grateful mm. to live here. Both of my sisters also live out in the middle of nowhere. My mm. sister Lizzie moved from Santa Barbara, and she lives out in the middle of nowhere and outside of Nashville, mm. about an hour uh, out in Tennessee. Um, and my other sister Becky just sold their place in Santa Barbara, and they live in the San Juan Islands, mm. Mm, a little nice. island in the San nice. Juans. So all of us are out in the middle of nowhere, which mm. I'm so grateful to be out in the middle of nowhere. But I do think that there are places that are going to get a lot scarier than they already are because mm-hmm. so many businesses have closed mm-hmm. and they're not going to reopen. Yeah. We're going to lose. I mean, just in the restaurant business, I'm blessed because I can open my restaurant anytime I want. Mm. Pandemic, you know, if they, it, unless they shut things down completely, mm-hmm. I could open if I wanted to. It's just, I just don't think it's safe for me or other people yeah. for me to. And I don't have to right now. But, um, and there was a time when Airbnbs were closed, where, you know, the Airbnb website just said, hey, you know, you can't do mm-hmm. this right now. Mm-hmm. So, but I think things are going to get a lot worse and mm. a lot scarier for a lot of people. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad for you to live out in the middle. It's a great time to live out in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, yeah I think crime is going to go way up. I yeah. think a lot of sadness. I don't see all the people waiting in food lines and having a food, being sitting in your car trying to feed your family Hmm. and have them run out of food before when there's still 50 cars ahead of you. Hmm. Um, So I think there's going to be a lot of sadness Hmm. out there. Jeez Louise. I mean. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think Hmm. it's great. I I don't hunt, but I get that you hunt. Mm -hmm. My sister has a wolf. She's always had wolves. Wait, whoa, whoa, what? I know. My sister Lizzie has always had wolves. Wait, what does that mean? She... She, uh, she's always had like a hybrid wolf. Like okay. there are people that raise them. Oh, okay. Um, 
one of our first dogs when I was growing up was a Malamute, but he was part wolf. And um, so she's just always had that. Is that that Belgian breed, Malamute? A Malamute's like a big husky. They're like a husky, but they're bigger. Oh, okay. Um, And um, that's just the kind of animal that my sister mm-hmm. likes being around so but her lifestyle revolves a lot around this dog because it's not like a dog and they don't so she uh she has a lot of property she's got about 200 acres in tennessee mm, nice. and um she lets several different people hunt there and she doesn't hunt herself but she always has the guy that she lets deer hunt there get a couple deer for her and that's what she feeds herself so awesome and her wolf all year long <laughs> she <feed> the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome yeah. and you know back to wolves um you reminded me of saying how the coyotes kill the foxes. I was just watching a nature documentary about coyotes, and the wolves do similarly. The, when the wolves have come back into areas that they were extirpated from, they immediately go in and start killing the coyotes. It's crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And there's just so many things we don't Territorial. know. Territorial. Yeah. We we have a lot of coyotes around here, but they, uh, they'll they be around our farm for a while, and the dogs do You're a really good them? job. Oh, yeah. I've I've seen a coyote twice in my life. One of them was driving through the Kansas on the highway. We see them a lot. Now, when the corn's out, you see them a lot more. Although my daughter, uh, Mally, was out cleaning stalls the other day. And she was like, I went over to get the wheelbarrow. And there was a coyote, the biggest coyote I've ever seen in my life, just standing right next to the wheelbarrow. And she said, I thought it was a wolf because it's the size of my sister's wolf. It was really big. Wow. And um, she said it looked at me and I looked at it. And then it just turned and ran off into the corn. And she saw it a couple times after that in the same place. They come and they'll eat the mulberries, wow. uh, just like the foxes do during mulberry season. Um, the coyotes have to be chased off because they will kill my cats because uh, they'll eat them. Mm. Uh, they don't. They kill dogs. They don't eat them, but they'll kill cats. They like to eat cats. Well, they're not killing your dogs. They're not killing my your dogs. dogs they, are they kill our little dogs though in a second. Mm. I mean, I've had um, them like on the other side of our backyard fence. We have like a little chihuahua. They they make a meal of my chihuahua in a second. Um, but the 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 dogs, our dogs can see a coyote from miles away, and they see a coyote and they're gone chasing him off. Mm. But. Um, I was worried about those little foxes with the coyotes, but we had some coyotes that were around for months, and normally they'll be around for about a week. You'll hear them at night howling, or you'll hear them during the day yipping. There's binoculars in your little cottage because Mm. uh, when the corn's out, you can just look out in those fields, and you can just watch the coyotes when they're Mm. around walking back and forth, or deer. We have a lot of deer Mm. that come to drink out of the pond, and um, this past spring and winter, end of winter, I got a call from a guy in town saying that he was a hunter and a trapper and that they were a lot of coyotes out here in this old coal mine. And they were coming into town, killing people's animals and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to know if he'd come out here and shoot the coyotes. Now, when I moved here, there were a couple months out of the year that you couldn't shoot coyotes during their breeding season. Now, it's just pretty much open season. In Virginia, it's, it's all year open season. So, for the people listening, for hunting and trapping— it's ex- all of those activities and fishing are extremely regulated and trapping seasons are, you know, from December 1st or whatever yeah. till this day. But coyote is one of the, one of the few species that it's a continuously open season in Virginia. And you're saying yeah, here in Missouri. They just changed that here. I think May was like the one month that you couldn't kill them. Okay. But now I think it's all year round. It was whatever, whenever they're mate or they're breeding. Okay. I don't know some, there's some part where there was one month that you couldn't here. And now it's just free for all. Anyway, he wanted to know if he'd come out here and shoot the coyotes out on the coal mine. 
And I, they'd been coming around, and I'd been hearing them at night. The dogs were working their living daylights out, chasing them off all the time. But I kind of feel like everything has to live. And one of the things that's happening out here is they're just taking out trees and forest areas like crazy. Hmm. Um, just uh, one day you're driving along, and there's a whole wooded area. The next day, it's just gone. It's in a huge pile, and they're burning it. Just to make another field? To make to plant more corn. Jeez. And unfortunately, the same people that are doing this are the same people that like to hunt. I don't know yeah. where they think the stuff that they like to hunt is supposed to go and live yeah. because they're they're slowly getting rid of all of the trees, yeah. all of the wooded areas just disappearing. Mm. And so I didn't want him to come out here and mm-hmm. hunt out there on the coal mine because there's there's no place left for any of these animals to live. Is it even is that even on your property? Well, it's on the part of the farm that I bought my eight acres out of, so I know who it belongs to. Okay. Because um, it belongs to people I bought my little space out of. And so I have no hunting, no trespassing signs all up and down okay. the road that they let me put up to keep people from coming in here and hunting. So I told him no, he he couldn't. Is the well, mine open? No. Okay. It's closed up. No, there's no coal out here anymore. But um, I mean, can you shoot. go in there? You you can walk out there uh, when the corn's out. Okay. And uh, you can still see the old railroad tracks that go oh, around the cool. mine. And there are big piles of shale. and But it's all pretty. And there's the creek bed that goes around the outside. Uh, my or my son-in-law came out here to look for morels this mm, past nice. spring. Walked out around the creek bed. Didn't find any morels. I've never found one. Nice. People find hundreds of them. I have never found one in the 20-something years I've lived here. I've, I've never been found finding one. a few for the past few years. I've been finding a few, but not so what I see people posting on their Instagram and whatnot. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Um, so the coyotes stayed for months. They never left. Interesting. And the guy tells me, it took me weeks to figure out what had happened, but he had told me that he'd shot a big female out on their pro- property. And I realized that he's shot the alpha female. And all the other ones were young coyotes. And they didn't know what to do. And that's why they weren't leaving. Because normally they'd be here for a week or so, and then they would move on someplace else. And they weren't moving on because they didn't know what to do without the alpha female. Fascinating. So this kid who shot this female had actually caused the problem in town with the coyotes coming into town and eat and killing people's cats and stuff because normally with alpha female, they would have just moved on someplace else, somewhere else out in the county. Very which they always but he had he had put a stop to all of that. And so these young males and female they weren't going anywhere because they didn't know where to go because the alpha female who would have shown them where to go mm. was gone. I think I've heard something very similar, but I, I'm not going to say it because I can't remember enough, but something about that, about, yeah, I can't remember. So we had a coyote problem out here for months that would have been a coyote problem for some people for maybe a couple weeks, mm. but caused by this guy that had had killed. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Very, very fascinating. They're they're gone now, but they were, they were literally here for months and they'll be back. They, they come and they go. But yeah, it was a pretty sad thing. And I remember calling around trying to find out, yeah, they're not leaving. I I didn't want him to come out here. Um, and I'm I'm glad now that I, I there's told him this, no. um there's this uh pretty fascinating book called Coyote America. It's by um Dan Flores. 
And um, his theory is that the more you push the populations of coyotes, the more they breed. So the more you kill, the more they breed. And um, because unlike wolves, they can they can do life solo. They don't have to be in a pack. Mm-hmm. And when they're pushed hard, they'll splinter off solo. And when you hear them doing the roll calling, mm-hmm. or sorry, when you hear them yipping and howling, they're roll calling to see how many others are in the All area. Around. And if there aren't enough, they breed harder. Yeah. So this is so this is his theory to explain why. And he's been on a lot of extraordinary podcasts. Um, but he, uh, that's his theory for how they've spread so well across all of America. I wish people would educate mm. themselves. They're cool. Because, yeah, this year, when you, would, when you would hear them howling, you could hear them everywhere. So cool. It was just like being in a, an, a coyote medicine circle. So cool. <laughs> of coyotes I've experienced around. that while hunting in the National uh, Forest in Virginia. And I actually, for my podcast, I recently interviewed the fur bear biologist for Virginia. And he said in our, in, at least in our area, so I don't know, I can't speak for here, that there are twice as many bobcats as there are coyotes. So really? that's like mind blowing to me. We hear, we've heard uh, bobcats. Really? We have them. Um, and people have seen cougars, a lot of cougars around here. Are you lions serious? Around here. Yeah. Um, and black bear are uh, moving closer and closer. I don't know if you followed Bruno, the black bear, that there was um, a big thing this past um, summer with this bear that people all across the Midwest were following. This bear that moved from Iowa, maybe, and traveled all the way to Arkansas, and that's where it is now. They ended up finally um, darting him in a, a truck yard. Mm. He had managed to cross one of the highways in St. Louis, but they knew he wasn't going to be able to make it. He was obviously, couldn't figure out where he was going. Mm. But they figured that he was trying to head maybe towards the Ozarks. Mm. Anyway, there's a whole bunch about him on the internet. It was pretty amazing. But they ended up darting him and driving him to where they thought he was going because he wasn't going to make it. There, were, you, there, there are videos all over the place of sheriffs and stuff stopping traffic on four-lane highways so this bear could cross <laughs> the right. highway. Bruno, they named him, um, to you, try to make it to wherever he was going. It was pretty awesome. So have you seen the mountain lion? I've never seen a mountain Holy lion. Shit. And I've never heard a mountain lion, but a lot of people have seen them around here. Wow. I think most of them have been tagged by now. Okay. Yeah, um, we don't have them where I am. I've heard bobcats at night. They sound, uh, from the videos I've listened to, don't they kind of sound like a like a, a woman screaming? Witch? Yeah, really yeah. scary. Well, you have a scream on your podcast at the beginning of it, but I think it's a fox. It is right? a fox. It's a yeah. fox barking. And so I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's a terrifying sound. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. If you're out walking around in the dark, camping. I've heard it know. camping, reflecting off of a wall, and it was like, <laughs> "What the flying fuck <laughs> yeah, is your out skin here?" Skin just crawls up <laughs> the back of your <laughs> neck. Yeah. Um, and the first time that I heard that um, was out in the middle of our pasture. I'd just gone out to get something. It was several years ago, and I went and got my daughters, mm. and we were out there with flashlights trying to see what it was. I don't know why. Yeah, if I was in the city, I'd be sure it was somebody trying to murder me out here. Mm-hmm. I'm out with a flashlight trying to see what kind of wild animal it is. But yeah, that there's nothing like that sound. I mean, it really scares the living mm. daylights out of you. Mm. And and bobcats ha- also have real scary noises. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we could wrap this up. Okay. Um, well, you've told us about your restaurant. You told us about the Airbnb. Uh, do you want to share how people can find find both they of those? You can find 
us on Facebook and on Instagram. If you're an animal rights activist and you think that the Dancing Bear Cafe is named after the dancing bears in Russia and you're calling to yell at me, please don't call here. That happens? Oh, yeah. Happens all the time. I mean, people just completely lose their shit. I answer the phone. They start screaming at me. Um, Just because of the the name of your restaurant? Because of the name of my restaurant. What the fuck? I either get Grateful Dead people, they're deadheads, and they think it's the Grateful Dead dancing bears. It's not. (laughs) I I was going to give it a chicken name because this is the largest chicken farm, or was the largest chicken farm in Lafayette County. My husband's ex-wife opened an antique store in 1998, right before I opened my restaurant, and she gave it a chicken name. So I had to come up with something else. Yes. And there was that painting by W.H. Beard that was painted in the 1930s of the bears dancing in the woods. Mm. And so I named it after the W.H. Beard painting of the bears Love dancing that. in the woods instead. So it's it's not the cruel Russian dancing bears. It's the bears dancing in the woods. Well, thank you gleefully for Gleefully dancing in the <laughs> woods, having a picnic, enjoying nature. So on Facebook and Instagram, mm-hmm. it's... It's the uh, on Facebook. It's the Dancing Bear Cafe or the Dancing Bear Cottages, and on Instagram, I think it's Dancing Bear Cottages and the Dancing Bear Cafe. Okay, but you can you can and find on, them on Airbnb. And Airbnb, it's the Artist Cottage and the Pond House. And in in where in Missouri? Uh, you can type in Higginsville, Missouri, okay. or yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but write something about yourself, or I won't. And I better like it or I won't let you stay here. Oh, you mean you want me to write a review? <laughs> no, no. But if people try to contact me, <laughs> um, when people contact me, I like it if you tell me a little about yourself and why I booked my stay here and I was doing it in a hurry because we were in Denver and we needed to find our route home and I just didn't bother say anything. Yeah, you said thank you, yeah. which was great. But, except okay. I was like, well, yeah. Who, who yeah. are you and why do you want to stay here exactly. on my special place? Exactly. So I had so after you told me you needed more information about me, I kind of told you what what we were up to. Yeah. And, and that I was, was helpful. like, "Oh, okay." So please if, if you book, tell a little bit about yourself. Yeah. And this is an absolutely magical spot. I love it. I've been talking with Vivian, you know, meeting people like you. We I haven't met your husband, but you know, um we met this uh firefly expert in Tennessee and her husband, Edgar, uh, Lynn and Edgar, and, um, you know, young herbalists our age that are homesteading and meeting, and, you know, even my landlady, um, Susan, who runs this nonprofit, United Plant Savers, just meeting these people um, is reminding us what is possible with life. Like you can create your, meeting all these incredibly fascinating, eccentric, passionate people, like you can create your own version of life. And we're already kind of doing that, but it's just so inspiring to see our elders doing that. You know, you don't have to live in a suburb. You can eke out your own existence, um, you know, in the middle of nowhere and create a magic, your own little magical world. Yeah. And it's so wonderful to see into other people's magical world. Oh, I didn't mention yesterday in Kansas with the, um, the fossil hunting couple. You know, they they refurbished an an old church, you know, kind of like That's you. Awesome. They found an abandoned building. They refurbished it. They don't even really have running water. They have to go get drinking water, and they have a they have a their bathtub is outside, and <laughs> they they heat it with wood. And it's like there you go. These these people are amazing. So thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you.